I've shared a few times that it was an invitation that first brought me to church. In fact, it was my cousin, um, Nyla Seals' son, Steve, who first invited me to youth group. Not to church, we were in junior high, and he invited me to youth group and uh, promised me that his, his parents would give me a ride. You know, so maybe Nyla will pick up your friends for you next Sunday also. Uh, but it, you know, it was a simple invitation from a junior high kid to another junior high kid, and that began that slow introduction to attending church for me. And, and I remember those early days when they, you know, youth group was Sunday evenings, and we'd have a great time at youth group, and then they'd say, why don't you come to church on Sunday mornings, Brett? And I'd say, are you crazy? I like to sleep in on Sunday mornings. You know, I, I'm not getting up. I'm not doing that. And it took a, a couple of years, but eventually... I started attending church on Sunday mornings. I decided I wanted to be a part of that also. And I remember a few years later, this would have been early to mid-80s, Kansas Christian Church had a friend day one Sunday, and and we were all encouraged to invite our friends to church. And all my friends were already here, so it just kind of went in one ear and out the other. I didn't pay any attention. But I remember going home one day after school and mom telling me, I'm going to be in church next Sunday. I got invited to Friend Day. And now I know you guys know that my mom is, I mean, she's here, she's here more often than I am, I think. Uh, but at that time, this wasn't a part of what our family did. And I, my jaw kind of dropped. I said, you, you're going to church? She said, well, yeah, my neighbor, you know, Ressie had invited her to, to church and she was going to go. I said, you're, you're going to be in church Sunday? I said, yeah. I, well, dad's not going with you, is he? No, 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 and he's not going. Oh, well, that makes sense, you know. It's that part of it just kind of made sense, but it just kind of blew my mind. But, but I remember the impact it had on me when on that friend day, the church was packed and we had tons of people in the old building and I could look across the auditorium and see my mom sitting with her friends. Now, for those of you that grew up in the church, that may not sound like a big deal, but trust me, that was huge for me. And I tell you that because I want you to know why Friend Day is important to me. For those of us who did not grow up in the church, for those of us who who did not have family that drug us here every week whether we wanted to or not, this is how we found faith. A friend impacted our life. A friend invited us. And I tell you, it wasn't a big deal. I mean, a junior high kid could do it. It was not that big of a deal. I look back on that invitation now, And I also look at my mom's invitation and I see that my mom is here week after week. And I tell you, your invitation makes a difference. We're going to look at just a small little passage in Acts chapter 5 today. We have a potluck this afternoon. I've already promised people that the sermon is going to be short for the potluck. So they seem to really like that. Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. You're using those Bibles in the pew. It's page 913. Very easy to find. When we talk about church growth these days, we often talk about strategy and plans. And everybody's got a different one. And I'll tell you, Steve and I, any given week, how many emails do we get that talk about church growth? And how many calls do we see? Do we get how many uh, magazine ads do we see in, in Christian magazines? But Every day, someone's got a different strategy 
for church growth. And, and they've got all of these ideas, these campaigns that will work for your church and programs that will work and, and websites and what you've got to do to your website and you've got to have a logo and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And it's always, they're always telling you that you'll get more visitors to your church if you do this. But what I love about this passage is the same thing that I love about Friend Day. It's people impacting the people they know. It's people impacting their friends, inviting their friends. It begins there in Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dare join them. But the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least a shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. I want to bring that text up to our situation and up to our lives and to our relationships. And I want to just simply state something that ought to be obvious to us. First of all, your friends know that you're here. They know that you're in church this morning. Our friends know that we're here. I mean, I'm assuming, it's a bit of an assumption, but I'm assuming that you tell your friends that you go to church. Maybe you don't. Maybe you tell your friends that you go fishing on Sunday morning, or maybe you tell them that you're playing golf, or Maybe you tell them that you're taking a nap, and, and you know, maybe that's not a lie. You know, I, I don't know, maybe you are. But I, I'm guessing that if your friends are important to you, then they know that this is important to you. There is a good chance that your friends know that you're in church today. And there's also a good chance that they're wondering, why aren't they inviting me? Why aren't they sharing that with me? Now, in the passage here in the first century, everyone knew where to find the Christians. They were meeting together in Solomon's portico. Some of your Bibles say Solomon's colonnade. Some of your Bibles say Solomon's porch. It was an area on the east side of the temple, uh, kind of an open area where public meetings were held. Everybody held their meetings on Solomon's portico, and that's where the early Christians were meeting. They weren't meeting in secret. They were meeting in public. And, and it's an interesting Interesting problem with that, because the chapter before, chapter 4, Peter and John are told not to go around preaching about this Jesus, not to be teaching about this Jesus anymore. They're taken in by the Jewish authorities, they're arrested, and they're threatened with punishment, and everyone knew this. And yet, they didn't move their meetings to secret, they continued to hold them out in the public where people could see, people knew that they were meeting together. Every now and then, somebody will say, you don't, have to be a, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. People will say that. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You, you can experience God by a lake. You can experience God in the woods. You can experience God on your couch. You can experience God on a golf course. And, you know, I'm not going to argue with any of that. I mean, God is everywhere. I, I believe that. You know, you're able to experience Him in, in any situation. But what about your friends? If, if that's your philosophy, if that's your idea of how to approach God, what, what does that say to your friends? What does a lack of commitment to a local body say to our friends? Because when they're in need, when they're feeling lost, when they need the support 
of a community, they're not, and if they've got questions about life and about God, they're not going to go ask a lake. They're not going to go ask the woods. They're not going to go ask a golf course those questions. They need to find us in a place where we are committed to other people. They need to find us in a place like this. So your friends already know you're here. And it's not just that your friends know, our friends know we're here. More to the point, our friends know us. Our friends know us. They know our character. They know our conduct. They know our integrity. They know that we are Christians. And that can be a little scary because some of them have preconceived notions about what Christians are and what Christians do and what Christians are like. And that can be bad because your friends may be watching you to see if you screw up. Your friends may be watching you to see if you're a hypocrite, if you're just faking your faith. Or your friends could be watching you to see if you really believe this. Your friends could be watching you to see if you're really acting like Jesus, if you're really loving and caring and forgiving. And that can be really scary if they're watching you for those things. If your friends know you're a Christian, they have a right to expect better behavior from you. If your friends know that you're a Christian, they have the right to expect to be treated better by you, to be loved better by you, to be forgiven completely by you. You may be the closest thing they get to experiencing the love of God. Closest they get to experiencing the love of God might be the love they know from you. Verse 13 says that the people held them. The people held the believers in high esteem. In other words, they saw that the believer's character was not the same as everyone else's character. They expected them to be held to a higher standard of love, a higher standard of sacrifice, a higher standard of forgiveness, a higher standard of service. Now the other side of that is, what does it say to them when they know that church is important to us? When they know that we put our hope for eternity in our faith, and yet we never invite them. What does it say to them when they know this is important to us, but, but we never invite them? Does, does it make them wonder? Do they wonder if, if we don't think they're worthy? Do they wonder if we don't think that they're up to living to the same standard as us? You know, last week I told you that there are people in our lives, or people in our community, who have been told their whole lives what they're not. They've been told that they're not good enough. They've been told that, they're, that they don't amount to anything. They've been told that they're not welcome. They've been told that they're not loved. That's not just conveyed in what's said. That's also conveyed in what's not said. When they're not included, when they're not invited, when they're not welcome, when they're not shown that they, that they actually matter. And we want them to know that they do matter. We want them to know that they are welcome. And more than anything else, we want our friends to know our Savior. They know we're here. They know us. But we really want them to know our Savior. There is something odd in this passage, and it looks a little contradictory at first. In verse 13, it says, None dared join them. (laughs) They knew that these guys were in trouble with the authorities. They knew that they had been rebuked by the Jewish authorities and threatened with punishment. And so they did not want to join in with those meetings in Solomon's portico. But then you read the very next verse. Verse 14 says, And more than ever believers were added to the Lord 
multitudes of both men and women. Verse 13, no one dared join them. But verse 14, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. How do we reconcile those two statements? Well, let me ask, is it more important, is it more important that our friends join us? Or is it more important that our friends believe in Jesus? Is it more important that they fill a spot in the pew? Or is it more important that they have faith in something greater than them? Do we simply want them in the seats or do we want them in heaven? I, I think you understand. We want them in heaven. Do we want them to know how we do church or do we want them to know grace? Do we want them to know peace? Do we want them to know Jesus? I think what these two verses are saying is people's lives were changing. They may not have joined that big meeting that was taking place on Solomon's porch yet, but they believed they had faith in Jesus. There was a poll done earlier this year. And uh, I like to read polls. You know, Some of them are good, some of them not so good. But this poll that was done earlier this year said that 83% of American adults, 83%, consider themselves to be Christians. Okay? 83% of American adults consider themselves to be Christians. Now, in the same poll, 40% of American adults said they go to church every Sunday. 40% said they are in church every Sunday. At least half of those people are liars, okay? But they're liars who believe in Jesus. So keep that in mind. They are liars because on any given Sunday, only about 20% of American adults are in church. 40% said, well, yeah, I was there. Didn't you see me? I was in the back. I, you know, I, I was there. No, you weren't, okay? They're lying, but, but they are still claiming to be Christians. But 83% say they're Christians. That means 83% believe in Jesus, that means 83%, if they're having a problem in their life, at least 83% want you to pray for them. 83% want you to pray for them, and at least 83% would welcome an invitation to church. I don't want to overload your brain with, with numbers, but I want to tell you about another poll. There's another couple of interesting statistics. There was a survey taken recently that asked church visitors, how did you find this church? Asked people, how did you find the church that you attended? And so they looked at statistics. What works when we're inviting people to church? How do you get people here? 2%. 2% said they saw an advertisement. All of those billboards that you see, all of those ads you see in newspapers, those spots on radios, those things that they, they try to sell us, that we get the messages all the time. They want us to put this ad out. 2% responded to an ad that they saw, an advertisement they saw, and that's why they were in church. 6% came because the preacher invited them. I want you to keep that in mind. 6% came because a preacher invited them. Another 6% came because of, a, because of a campaign that the church was having, like a revival. So in other words, a good preacher only gets as many as a regular old preacher. You know, they... The church got a good preacher in for a week, and that got 6%, but 6% would come for a regular preacher too. So what's the point of getting a good preacher when you just have, you know, me? Anyway, so 2% from advertisement, 6% from an invitation from the preacher, another 6% from a revival or some kind of campaign. 
that 86%, 86% of church visitors came because they were invited by a friend or a relative. 86% came because they were invited by a friend or a relative. Is that encouraging? That is incredibly encouraging. You guys can do a better job of growing this church than I can by a huge percentage. I can get 6% of people to say yes. You can get 86% of people to say yes. There's only one thing wrong with this statistic. And that's this. Only 2% of Christians invite their friends to church. Only 2% of Christians invite their friends to church. The overwhelming majority would love to come. The overwhelming majority want to be here. And I would even tell you that the overwhelming majority are wondering what's wrong with me. Why don't I get an invitation? Why don't they want me there? What have I done that they don't think I'm worthy of going to their church? They're wondering why we're not asking them. This past week, my mom was, was in the hospital for a few days. She had a little, little touch of pneumonia, but she's here today, and she even she baked a cake for the, for the potluck today. She had to be here because she had to bring a cake, you know? So, so my mom was in the hospital for a, a few days last week, and I went over to visit her one day, and Grace and I left. We went and got some lunch and, or dinner, and then we came back. And when I walked back into the hospital room, my mom was sitting on the edge of the bed holding her church uh, newsletter. She was holding this month's church newsletter, and her nurse was standing next to her, and my mom was showing her the calendar. And I walked in, and I caught my mom inviting her nurse <laughs> to church. It, it blew me away. It just absolutely amazed me. But I realized my mom has seen the power of that simple invitation. A simple invitation that changed her life, but also a simple invitation from a kid in junior high that changed the life of her son and changed the trajectory of her family to where we're here now. We're a part of what's happening here. It's so simple. Junior high kid can ask, we want to come to youth group. You can ask your friend, you want to come with us? They're doing this friend day and I'm going to look like I just didn't invite anybody. I don't want to be part of that, you know, people that don't, 98%. Would you come with me? Just, just come with me for one Sunday. See what we do. It's that simple. God, God is eager to meet your friends. That's one of the lessons that we have from Jesus. God is eager to meet your friends. God is not eager to exclude your friends. God wants to be a part of your friend's life. He wants to be a part so badly that He gave His Son. We come together every week and we take this bread and we drink that cup to remind ourselves that we don't belong to an exclusive club that no one else is invited to join, but rather to remind ourselves that God opened the doorways of heaven and said, come on in, invite your friends. This is for everyone. We take the cup and the, and the loaf today I just want to ask you to remind you, a lot of times we end up sitting there thinking about ourselves. We think about our sin. We think about what we've done. I want you to pray today about your friends. Pray about the people you love who aren't here. 
Pray about the people who, who don't know what this is all about yet. And pray about the simple power of an invitation and what that could do for their lives here and what that could do for their eternity. Let's stand together and sing.